you got to have a good product. You can't you can't cheat out customers or, or fake them into buying from you um, more than once. Usually, it's just not going to work. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct to consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, I'm welcoming to the show the CEO of Freedom Ravewear, a company revolutionizing the festival clothing scene with their unique, sustainable, and expressive designs. Welcome to the show, Michael Hodgkin. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, really excited to chat all things rave. Yeah, yeah. So for those that are unaware of Freedom Ravewear, Quickly, can we talk about the types of products you guys are actually like bringing to market and selling these days? Yeah, so we're a direct to consumer uh, festival fashion brand and manufacturer. We produce about six thousand SKUs currently, and that is growing quickly. So by the end of the year, we'll have twelve thousand SKUs that we're producing, manufacturing in San Diego, California, and it's totally uh, switching the uh, stereotypical fast fashion route for direct to consumer apparel, and we're regionalizing the. The, uh, production process and leveraging as much cool AI tech on the manufacturing forecasting side to deliver awesome products to our customers. And uh, it's just been really fun. Awesome. Uh, so where did the idea to start a rave fashion brand come from? Well, it came from going to a rave and having a deep passion for uh, EDM music. So, you know, that goes back as, as, as early as, um, you know, junior high, high school DJing for, you know, parties and hauling my parents, uh, audio sets to different you know, friends' houses for house parties and falling in love with, uh, with early EDM. Uh, in, in college, I, Started, I went to school in New York and, uh, that's where I met my girlfriend and now wife and co-founder Alyssa. Um, I played college soccer. She played volleyball, but the New York party scene is, is pretty cool and exciting. And that's where I really started to like have this, um, in-person experience with music festivals and, or the cl clubs. After college, I went to, um, moved to California and that's where I went to my first large music festival. And it was there in a crowd of 50,000 people with some, you know, fresh threads that uh, Alyssa had put together where I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, do you want to make a company? And she's like, what? I was like, do you want to like start making clothes for these, uh, festivals? And she said, yeah. And so it was pretty much as organic as it gets just sitting around, um, you know, a bunch of other people at the festival and really loving the experience and thinking that uh, it was a place we wanted to spend more of our time. And yeah, it's been 10 years now. This will be our 10th year in business. So um, I look back at that moment pretty fondly, but it, that's a pretty organic start. Awesome. All right. So you have this idea. Everyone has an idea. I know there's a listener out there right now that has an awesome idea, right? What was the next step? How did you validate this idea or what What'd you do? So that festival that we went to, Alyssa had made some outfits just for us, just, you know, to, um, you know, she kind of like dove deep into the culture of rave stuff. And she made some 
you know, pieces that by today's standards weren't anything special, but at the festival, a ton of people had complimented us. And so it wasn't like we had intended for that to be sort of a market test, but all of these people at the festival had came, come up and said, Oh, that looks really cool. That looks really cool. And it was after maybe like the 10th person that I had looked at her and said like, Hey, do you want to start this business? So it was more like in real time validated at the festival by so many people saying like, Hey, where did you get that? Hey, I want that. And that's not uncommon for festivals. I mean, it's a really open and expressive environment. So I think we kind of benefited from that as far as sort of a proof of concept and figuring out if it's a good place to start. But as far as what was at, like the actionable steps as soon as we decided to start the company was, well, we, what was the name? I asked Alyssa, what, how does it make you feel? She said, free. I said, cool, freedom, done. And I said, okay, SEO, like I need something that's going to like rank well organically that we don't have to try and compete and fight for. Uh, a lot. And so it was Raveware and it was like Freedom Raveware. And that was basically the way the name was done. Uh, within seven days, the legal Zoom paperwork and all that had been filed. And we were the following weekend at um, Mad Decent Block Party, like Diplo's Mad Decent Block Party with business cards that I had printed from uh, Staples that said, if, um, you know, we'll make an outfit for you. If you don't love it, we'll give you your money back. And anyone who would come up to us at Madisa Block Party with our, you know, because we dressed even crazier at that next event and said something about the outfit, I'd give them the card. And then that's how we started to grow like organically. And we went to, um, I mean, we went to certainly Thursday, Friday, Saturday for six months uh, at every show, club event, party that we possibly could get to, dressing more and more ridiculous. All the while, Alyssa's learning how to, you know, sew and put products together. And I was learning how to talk to people and figure out, you know, what was it that people wanted. So that's, that's how we got started. There was no long, there, there was no business plan put in place. There was no, Hey, this is how we're going to do this thing. It was just, it felt like, okay, the next thing we need to do is find people. Hey, we need a name. Hey, we should probably make this legal. So those are the initial steps. All right. So you uh, are going to the events where you know your ideal customer is and you're putting in their hand like your offer to sell them this product. Like, Were you then just like on email back and forth, sending them like a PayPal invoice? Like, How did it become like a, an online business? Yeah. So the in-person stuff originally started with uh, PayPal and Etsy. Uh, and Instagram DMs, just, you know, hustling in the DMs, making, making sales. There was a, a period. So the first six months was a lot of that, like guerrilla tactics, like just going out there and figuring out <laughs> how to connect with people. Uh, after about six months, we had the first opportunity to go and set up um, a vendor booth at a music festival in Arizona. And it was at that event where we piled everything into Alyssa's, you know, small Toyota Corolla and drove out to set up this vendor booth that we really saw how much, uh, you know, demand and potential there was at at an event specifically. And looking back, I mean, we maybe only made like net 800 bucks. It wasn't a lot, but we were broke, uh, you know, fresh out of college back then. So that felt like a ton of money. And we were doing what we, what we were really passionate about. So it taking, looking at that and feeling the excitement and enthusiasm, we were just like all in on festivals. So we um, went to every festival that we could possibly go to. We did over 50 music festivals across the United States over the next two years. We went from the small Toyota Corolla to a Dodge Ram 2500 eight foot bed with where we would pack up 
everything we needed for these um, shows. And we would go from, you know, Dallas to Salt Lake to Florida to, I mean, just weekend after weekend after weekend traveling. And then, you know, saved up, bought a trailer, stuffed that thing full and really just understood how to market and connect with people in person at these events. So there was no real strong e-commerce play in that other than we had an Etsy and it was a good place to kind of get some custom orders. We were doing a lot of in-person stuff. By the time at the end of that festival tour, we had built up so much demand that, you know, um, creating an online presence and having a website seemed like the next logical step for us. But we didn't have the manufacturing capacity to meet the demand that we had created from that uh, really intense festival tour. So it wasn't until 2017 where we really went like full e-commerce. The first, you know, from 2014 to 2017, it was um, this mixed bag of in-person and having fun and testing things out. And I, I didn't know it back then, but it was the best way for us to learn about our industry. It was like, we, we have been to more shows now than, than, I mean, unless you're a DJ. Uh, so we really know how to connect with, with our audience. That's fantastic. So let's talk about the next phase of Freedom Rave where you guys, you know, are going online, you're building a store. Um, how did you kind of, what how did you evolve the manufacturing capacity? Yeah, so the manufacturing, which you know, like I said, now that's the thing that differentiates us the most from any competitors in the festival space, and in particular, just like fashion in general, the way that we are directly connected to the production. It didn't start out as that being the goal, where we have a vertically integrated micro factory, but it became the obvious thing to invest in as early as the end of 2017. We went to Magic Expo. I'm sure some of the listeners have been there um, in Vegas. And they had a display where you could go from the digital design into the uh, digital printing on the dye sublimation printers into a heat press into the... Um, it wasn't a laser cutter. It was just a rotary cutter. But into cutting the fabric and the sewing... Um, the sewing machines all within a, let's call it 1500 square foot space. And when we saw that, we were like, Oh, that's it. <laughs> how, how do we get that? And it took us two years to save up enough money from the way we were doing things to be able to make the first initial investment into the laser cutter. And to put things in perspective, you know, up until that point, it had been myself and Alyssa and she was sewing just nonstop. Um, you know, I would help w- with what I could as far as, you know, cutting things, but um, I didn't. So, um, Alyssa's mom would jump in and help. Um, you know, we made our first like sewing machine. Our first hire was someone who's still with us today uh, as a sewing machine operator. And we just learned the process of manufacturing through going from being in a one bedroom apartment to, you know, now our uh, facility in San Diego that produces, you know, thousands and thousands of garments a week. But it was, identifying, hey, that's the solution to the problem that we have, which is we we tried to get some manufacturing done by third parties. I should say that. It just never really worked very well for us. You have certain MOQs that you need to hit. wasn't flexible enough for our needs. We didn't have a lot of money. And there's a quality control issue that is fully normal when you're working with other manufacturers. It makes sense. If they're not used to making your product, there's going to be some back and forth. And I guess we just weren't really patient with that. I'm sure we could have optimized that process. But 
by identifying the real long-term solution, which was vertically integrate, we were able to first get the laser cutter because we identified that that could be what we would bring in-house first. And then we really scaled the business up to a decent amount. I'd say by that point, we, you know, we weren't going to music festivals anymore. We were just purely online and figuring out how to, you know, market and sell, um, you know, on Shopify. And, and it was, I think a combination of this frustration of not, we've always wanted to be different and try new fabrics and, and get new things, but we didn't have, we weren't making our own fabrics. So we would go into a store, we would find the cool new stuff, buy it, you know, go out, take it to market, but then competitors would have that same fabric, you know, four months, six months, a year later. Like it didn't matter how early we could be on picking or setting a trend. There was always going to be that person who'd come in and replicate. And that was frustrating and it just it irritated us. And then that kind of really drove home the idea of, well, if we just have our own printers, we can make our own graphics and no one can copy anything that we do. In, in identifying the uh, opportunity of differentiating ourselves through the technology and being like, all right, well, we can make our own designs. We can create our own vibe that can't be duplicated. That was fundamental in helping our business really like hit growth. And then this is still pre COVID. So there's a big, you know, hammer to hit our growth there. So we haven't talked about yet, but, um, at that point, it was like, this is the recipe for success. We know that we can deliver products that people are going to enjoy and we're not going to be like, you know, copied or knocked off by competitors, um, real easily. So there was, um, uh, a light at the end of this like d- business development tunnel that we were just starting to think about now. I mean, we were like years into this and n- really not thinking anything long term. It was all just like passion, fun, excitement. And, um, you know, there wasn't like a thought of exiting the business or anything. So the, the manufacturing ideas developed from. The, the, the way that we produce our products now developed from what our customers really wanted. So now we produce new collections every single week. We have anywhere from 250 to 300 SKUs coming out every single week. And we respond to the demand in real time. We never have a ton of like leftover inventory because we know what people want based on, you know, we use inventory planner for our, our forecasting. Highly recommend. Very nice. And. With that flexibility, we're able to deliver a product that people are always excited about. And as a business, we never have to make a bet that we're going to get like hosed on and have all this overhead, all this inventory that, um, you know, doesn't sell because we're still buying the raw material. We'll have the big rolls of fabric, but that big roll of fabric can be turned into whatever we want it to be turned into. Um, as far as like the graphics that are being printed onto it or <laughs> through the sublimation process. So that manufacturing technique, it developed from us just seeing what our customers wanted. Yeah. And you talked a little bit earlier about minimums and the fact that you guys invested in yourself and you bought into the ability to say, minimums don't matter because we own the production capacity. It unlocked so much for you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you don't realize how restrictive minimums can be. 
until you're, you're not in using them, but they also, the minimums force you to uh, invest in dead stock, um, especially with optimizing different cut files in, but I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this stuff, but on in, in apparel production, if you have a range of sizes and you know that certain sizes are going to sell better than others, we still have to hit these ratios in order to like optimize the cuts. And that sometimes means that when you want to have more of a certain size, you still have to have enough of another, you just have to buy an other size, even though you know that it's not going to sell as, as well. So, uh, interesting things, but yeah, totally avoidable when you have and control your own manufacturing. And I think what's awesome about it for other e-commerce apparel businesses is you don't need to go full micro factory vertically integrated. You can do something where you have essentially your design house. And then the things that really hit, you can, uh, you know, send to your offshore, uh, manufacturers or to your manufacturing partners and have them handle the scale production. But you are just really fast and nimble in house. I think that's a huge opportunity that people are aware of post COVID, you know, the, I, the value of having a flexible supply chain, but it's, also just a really wise business investment in terms of the speed at which you can A-B test your customers with products. And in the attention economy, it seems volume is the, is the differentiator of success. Uh, you still need to have a good product, but <laughs> having a great product and having lots of volume in terms of your ability to market, hey, we have this new item. Hey, we have this new product. Hey, check this thing out. It gives you an ability to stay relevant that is much easier than if you have, you know, a quarterly product release. I mean, I don't know how we would drum up excitement for that when the attention spans are like 0.2 seconds. Hey there, merchant. Are you tired of trying to navigate the wild world of e-commerce on your own? Are you looking for a partner to help you achieve your goals? Look no further than the Shopify Plus agency, Electric Eye. Our team has a proven track record of helping our clients make millions with strategic design and development. Whether you're migrating from a legacy platform to Shopify, designing a new theme for your store, or just looking to optimize what you already have, Electric Eye is the perfect partner for you. Electric Eye are true Shopify experts. Not only is our Shopify knowledge unparalleled, but we have partnerships with all the best tech in the Shopify ecosystem. And don't worry, we're easy to get a hold of. Our clients rave about our fast communication. So here's the deal. If you're an e-commerce business doing over $1 million a year, you can receive a complimentary Shopify diagnostic from our team of experts. That's free, personalized strategic recommendations to improve your store and grow your business. To get started, head on over to electriceye.io slash connect to schedule an intro call with one of our experts. That's electriceye.io slash connect. If you don't know what that sound is, you might be listening to the wrong podcast. That is the sound of another sale on your Shopify store. That's right, folks. We finally made it. Shopify is a sponsor of today's episode of Honest E-Commerce. And I'm here today to talk about Shopify's point of sale solution. Shopify point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. This has been a huge issue for clients of our agency in the past. You need your inventory to be synced in real time and Shopify POS does just that. Connect with customers in-store and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. 
You can get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success at every step along the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash honest, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash honest, H-O-N-E-S-T, to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash honest. All right. I want you to picture this. You're an e-commerce merchant juggling multiple platforms to manage your email marketing, SMS campaigns, and product reviews. It's a time-consuming and costly ordeal. But with Sendlane, those days of chaos are long gone. Sendlane brings together the power of email, SMS, and reviews all in one convenient place. So you can say goodbye to the hassle of separate tools and hello to simplified operations, increased efficiency, unified customer experience, and huge savings. And I haven't even gotten to the best part. With the all-new free Sendlane reviews, you can leverage social proof to build trust and credibility with potential customers. Let me say that again, free product reviews. With Sendlane, you pay for email and SMS and you get reviews for free. Sendlane understands that customer feedback is essential for the success of any e-commerce business. That's why they've made an integral part of their platform without any additional cost to you. By unifying these key components of your tech stack, Sendlane helps you save time and money all while generating more revenue. Don't let your e-commerce tech stack hold you back. Embrace the unifying force of Sendlane and take your business to new heights. Sign up today and experience the power of streamlined operations, increased efficiency, and revenue growth. Visit Sendlane.com honest to learn more and schedule your free consultation with a Sendlane expert. That's Sendlane.com honest. We haven't even talked about the advantage from a cash flow perspective of not having dead stock and investing in all of those new designs when you can see what works. You alluded to this earlier. It's like we'll see what works and then print to demand. Yeah, it's huge. It's it's um you know, from some of the uh, analysis that we've done over the last uh, two years, you know, we've been able to save roughly, you know, six hundred thousand dollars of inventory. Uh, spend and reallocate it towards customer acquisition. And when you have, you know, a $17 customer acquisition cost and you deploy $600,000 towards it, you grow your business a lot faster, you know, rather than trying to hope that that inventory is going to sell over some period in the future. You don't need to be tied up on that stuff. So it's, it's a massive benefit for businesses that can start to think about bringing in house certain develop, you know, certain parts of the product development. Um, you know, there's also a part of me that's sort of envious of the idea of, you know, like a solopreneur setup where it's just business development. Like you're only controlling yourself and everything else is outsourced and automated and, and functional. Um, but there's, there's security in being in, in producing and being a manufacturer. Uh, there are people who m- need things made and, and it helped us a lot through a sticky time. Uh, COVID was, not just challenging for us. I mean, if you are a restaurant and you went through COVID, it was tough because your, you know, sales went down 50%, 80%. Festival business that <laughs> went down, it was to zero. There were no festivals, right? So we had to figure out what we could do to leverage the asset, which was our production capacity. And that we, we spun up a second business. It's called Fabric Punch. We produce, uh, 
um, sublimated fabrics for about 2000 other Shopify brands now. So we use the machines that we invested in to help other businesses grow and scale their apparel business. And I think that wasn't, again, it wasn't like that was our plan. It was just a wise investment to have your own capacity. Cause if for whatever reason your business starts to go down, then you can pivot and help other people. Cause you, you own the thing that is of value. And yeah, uh, that is such uh, an amazing story. The, uh, what do they, they call it? Like selling your sawdust, you know, is finding ways to be profitable in areas that you already own. And just, you know, your machines aren't running 24 seven. They could be, and they could be making other people's products. That's just a fantastic pivot. Yeah. yeah and it was born, you know, born of circumstance, but happy that we did it. And obviously like that was during COVID, but post COVID, the, um, that business still remains and is thriving. So, uh, I think it's, it's fun and exciting to help get other apparel businesses onto this um, more regional or micro factory setup and to talk in and um, consult them in the business development that we weren't really aware of as we were doing it. But now as we look back, we're like, oh, hey, that was actually a pretty smart thing that we did. And, you know, let's help out one of these other clients. So it, it's cool. And, and, you know, it's it's obviously helped freedom because we get we just get to practice a lot and, you know, see what works. Um, as far as the ability to respond, respond to demand, I, I think something that sets our business apart is the, the feedback loop that we have with our customers, like, and especially our, you know, loyal and VIP customers and ambassadors. We use, um, Flare, the, uh, like, you know, community app to just quickly message back and forth. We'll, we'll drop in, uh, you know, what's the new graphic? Um, hey, here's some new styles. What do you guys think? Vote on this. So we're just getting that feedback before we start to move our production machinery into place to scale up something. So before it even goes out to get released, it's already been stress tested a few times and we'll know if it's, you know, we have our designers who are good at choosing what's going to do well, but sometimes they miss. We want to help them. So we talk to our loyal customers and they give feedback. And between the designers and the customers and the loyal customers, we don't usually miss at that point, but if it is possible. So we'll put stuff and then, you know, we'll do a collection release. Well, we'll know within four or five hours of a collection drop, which products need to have new, new purchase orders that day. And which products we can just not make any more of and then move on to the next thing. So develop, deploy that in your business if you can. It's, uh, it's very helpful. <laughs> this has been such an amazing conversation, Michael. I, uh, you've been sharing so much. And you just alluded to a little bit ago, you, you were talking about your customer acquisition costs and how you allocated 600K into it. Let's talk about that. How are you scaling things uh, through digital means once you guys got out of the festival kind of customer acquisition model? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I like to these. You know, I feel like there's there's the there's the product and there's the product development side of things, which you know, I, I think you really got to be a product person to have a, a, a strong business long term. You know, you gotta you gotta have a good product. You can't you can't cheat out customers or, or fake them into buying from you um, more than once usually. It's just not going to work. And at the same time, the marketing and just brand awareness development that needs to occur alongside product is equally as important. You can have a great product if no one knows about it. Doesn't doesn't help anything. So I think the 
the real driver, you know, and I'll be honest, like I, as much as we like to think that we're pros at what we do in marketing, but I think that comes to values that I can talk about. There's also just like a natural synergy between people going to a music festival, the cultural relevance of that in general, social media's, um, and, and the demographic that we sell to Gen Z and millennials, like they want to share and post on social media. And if they're going to a festival, they're going to share and post them at the festival. It is a highlight of their living experience. So <laughs> the marketing naturally occurs. You just have to make sure that they want to tag you because they're going to post that photo. And as long as you treat them well, give excellent customer service, don't shortcut the product. You know, if someone has an issue, address it, resolve it, give them extra store credit to show that you care and you, you didn't mean to mess up because mistakes happen and live, live and breathe by de- delivering an exceptional experience. Then it increases the likelihood someone's going to be willing to tag you when they're going out. And it's that organic, um, it's that organic marketing that is going to be the long term success. We all talk about the paid strategies here, but it's making sure you have all your ducks in a row. So the product is good. The customer service is great. We, you know, keep in touch with the people on product development. When they have an issue, we resolve it. You got all those things are, are in line. You know, the website looks good. The conversion rate is nice. You've optimized it for whatever experience you're trying to deliver. Okay. Now we can talk about paid ads. If you don't have all the other stuff, you're really just giving, you know, Zuckerberg a bunch of money, which is cool. You know, keep doing it. Do the jujitsu. We love it, bro. All good. But you're, 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 you're spending money that you didn't really need to spend when you, you should have spent it on product, customer service or the website experience. Assuming all of those are done and handled, dusted. The way we do our paid strategy is we take the best performing content, um, that is organically posted on our page. And we take the best performing user generated content that is posted, um, through any of the, you know, TikTok, Pinterest, um, Snapchat, Instagram. We'll look at it on a seven day basis. We'll take the top two or three. We'll jump, th- we'll put that into a testing campaign that battles against each other, you know, for that week. Then following week, we'll add new fresh, um, uh, creatives drop those in and they just compete. And over time, it gets better and better because it's the best performing content over like a 30 day period or a 60 day period. And that seems to work really well for us. So, you know, like I said, I, we've tried a lot of different things in the ad space and we've worked with, you know, different agencies and had, you know, some things go well, some things not, but it's, it's ultimately the, the, the strategy of, of putting forward your best performing piece of content consistently and making sure that everything else is in line. Michael, you've been such just a wealth of knowledge today. If I am listening to this podcast and I'm curious to check out the products that you have, where should I go? Uh, for products, freedomravewear.com. And you know, check out our Instagram, our TikTok. It's Freedom Ravewear. Uh, we're <laughs> at many music festivals. So if you give us a follow, you'll see uh, some of our marketing team out there and about. Maybe you'll see me wearing my uh, signature long black uh, robe with, um, some, you know, rave flair added. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, we're, we're trying to be in as many places as possible for people going to music festivals, trying to have a good time. Awesome. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks. 
We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own businesses. You can find all the links in the show notes. You can subscribe to the newsletter at honestycommerce.co to get each episode delivered right into your inbox. If you're enjoying this content, consider leaving a review on iTunes that really helps us out. Lastly, if you're a store owner looking for an amazing partner to help you get your Shopify store to the next level, reach out to Electric Eye at electriceye.io slash connect. Until next time.